The scripture reading today is Psalm 104, verses 1 through 34. Let my whole being bless the Lord. Lord, my God, how fantastic you are. You are clothed in glory and grandeur. You wear light like a robe. You open the skies like a curtain. You build your lofty house on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot, going around on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers. You make fire and flame your ministers. You establish the earth on its foundations so that it will never fall. You covered it with the watery deep like a piece of clothing. The waters were higher than the mountains, but at your rebuke they ran away. They fled in fear at the sound of your thunder. They flowed over the mountains, streaming down the valleys to the place you established for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross so that they'll never again cover the earth. You put gushing springs into dry riverbeds. They flow between the mountains, providing water for every wild animal. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Overhead, the birds in the sky make their home, chirping loudly in the trees. From your lofty house, you water the mountains. The earth is filled by the fruit, filled full by the fruit of what you've done. You make grass grow for the cattle. You make plants for human farming in order to get food from the ground and wine, which cheers people's hearts, along with oil, which makes the face shine, and bread, which sustains the heart. The Lord's trees are well watered. The cedars of Lebanon, which God planted, where the, God, where the birds make their nests, where the stork has a home in the cypresses. The high mountains belong to the mountain goats. The ridges are the refuge of badgers. God made the moon for all seasons, and the sun too, which knows when to set. You bring on the darkness and its night, when every forest animal prowls. The young lions roar for their prey seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. Then people go off to their work, to do their work until evening. Lord, you have done so many things. You have made them all so wisely. The earth is full of your creations. And then there's the sea, wide and deep, with its countless creatures, living things both small and large. There go the ships on it, and Leviathan, which you made, plays in it. All your creations wait for you, to give them their food on time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled completely full. But when you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you let loose your breath, they are created. And you make the surface of the ground brand new again. Let the Lord, Lord's glory last forever. Let the Lord rejoice in all he has made. He has only to look at the earth and it shakes. God just touches the mountains and they erupt in smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I'm still alive. Let my praises be pleasing to him. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection.
Good morning again. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to come together. What a strange thing it is to be in a room full of people, silent, listening. What a gift it is. And so we ask that you would meet us in this space, that you would clear away the clutter in our hearts and our minds so that we might be fully present to what it is that you would say to us today. Speak through me because of me and in spite of me, that your word might be made known and that we might be made more whole for hearing it and for being moved by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember the first time I saw the stars, like really saw the stars. It was the summer before my senior year in high school, and I was spending a week in the Cascade Mountains as I attended a leadership camp. It was about 10 o'clock at night, and we had just ended our evening session. And as we streamed out of the assembly hall and walked toward our cabins, the lights of the main buildings grew dimmer behind us, and I just happened to look up. What I saw just stopped me in my tracks. Have you ever looked up at the sky while standing in the middle of the mountains on a clear night? It's stunning. It'll not only stop you, stop you in your tracks, it'll cause everything in your mind to just instantaneously slide away. There are very few things that will make you feel more small than pulling back the lens and realizing just how big the galaxy is. But somehow, that kind of smallness doesn't have the effect of diminishment or insignificance. Instead, it tends to lead to an awe-inspiring sense of interconnectedness. We walk along Ocean Beach, take in the waves which belie the depths of life, skimming across tens of thousands of marine biology, colossal, uncharted, and ancient oceanographic canyons. We observe the coastal cliffs and wonder at the centuries of erosion as tides sculpt the perimeter with a patience made possible by the confidence of time and seemingly infinite lunar cycles. This is incredibly big, we might think, and I am impossibly small. This is millennia years old, and I barely register on the cosmological timeline. As the author of Psalm 8 contemplated, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for us? The bigness coupled with our smallness leads to profound awe, which in turn leads to an overwhelming sense of gratitude. There is no sufficient way to capture it all, but the psalmist for our passage today does their best, crying out, let my whole being bless the Lord. Because words simply cannot suffice, although that doesn't stop him from trying. A litany of observations that are at once effusive and insufficient. Lord, my God, how fantastic you are. You wear light like a robe. You open the skies like a curtain. And on and on from the five elements to flora and fauna, fish and fowl, mountain goats and leviathan, from Adam, the Hebrew word for soil, to Adam, our word for man, humus to human. And at the end, what the psalmist can do, the psalmist can do nothing but again collapse in a heap of gratitude with nothing but the same words they began with. Let my whole being bless the Lord, praise the Lord. The beloved and well-quoted sociologist Bernie Brown spends time to try and dissect awe in her book, Atlas of the Heart. And as part of this, she invites artist Gavin Ong to illustrate the difference between awe and wonder, which is what we'll be talking about next week, wonder. Wonder causes us to look closer, but awe leads to a sense of expansiveness and interconnection. I am but one of many, and I am one of many. 
Biology will tell you that in many non-human mammals, goosebumps occur when they face a threat. Humans get goosebumps when we face a threat too. But we also get goosebumps when we experience awe, something that transcends our understanding. How many of us have gotten goosebumps while listening to a song? Sociology observes that awe helps to bind us together, motivating us to act in collaborative ways that enable strong groups and cohesive communities. Anthropology details how awe leads people to cooperate more, share more resources, and sacrifices for others. And psychology describes how awe instills a different sense of self, more humble, part of something bigger. How even a brief experience of awe, such as being amidst beautiful tall trees, lead people to feel less narcissistic and entitled, cultivating a sense of a collective identity and orienting our actions toward the needs of those around us. All of this is helpful for understanding what happens to us and within us when we are confronted with that which surpasses understanding. But our psalmist had none of these resources, at least in any formal sense. No, they didn't have biology, sociology, anthropology, or psychology. What they did have, though, was theology. And theology, the study and experience of God and God's work in the world and in our midst, this is the catalyst of awe. Because, of course, God, by very essence, is beyond understanding. And God is the very source of our understanding. And just in case you're starting to get nervous, I want to assure you that here at City Church, we affirm, embrace, and celebrate the process, study, and findings of science. Yes to science. And yes to the mystery and wonder that is God's divine, poetic, and gratuitous presence, active and among us. That God is only a divine seamstress of, is not only a divine seamstress of life, stitching together our needs with such perfect symmetry and provision, that God is also extravagant hospitality and generosity, providing a home for all creatures, along with bread for nourishment, wine for joy, and oil for beauty. And binding this all together is not human comprehension, but the saving, provisional, and hospitable breath and breadth of God. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, what are human beings that you care for us? When we think about the idea of our smallness in the face of overwhelming bigness, especially these days, the result can often be fear and anxiety. After all, how many of us were wiping down our groceries with sanitation wipes just a couple of years ago? Much of our greatest developments in technology and medicine have been geared toward reducing that sense of smallness in just about every way possible. And so you might say that many of us are a bit out of practice at feeling small and powerless. The times we might continue to experience this, kicking and screaming in spite of our best efforts, is in circumstances of illness or economic hardship, relational breakdown, or climate-related calamity. These kinds of events remind us not only that there are boundaries to our self-determination, sorry to tell you, but that in fact we are actually very, very, very vulnerable, which is a feeling I'll go ahead and assume that none of us much like very much. And because we don't like to feel vulnerable, but especially because this vulnerability in the face of uncertainty can feel deeply threatening, we do everything we can to avoid it, ignore it, or just wish it away with all of our hearts. We grow narrow in our views, ungenerous in our dealings, suspicious and protective. Our imaginations and capacity for problem solving or possibility become malnourished and atrophied because we are so fearful and anxious. 
And while I have all the compassion in the world for why people respond like this, the psalmist shows us another way. Another way. There's no pretense that fire does not consume or wind and waters bring chaos. That Leviathan, the terrifying depths of the sea, isn't chock full of unknown creatures of the abyss. No illusions that death does not accompany life or lions don't hunt for their prey. The fears of our world are the fears of the psalmist, just with a few less lions and a few more gigabytes. But instead of turning inward, instead of digging a hole and burying their self in misinformation or an echo chamber of ideas, instead of dissolving into fear and self-protection against what they do not understand, instead of doing all the things that you or I are prone to wanting to do when the world gets too hard or fearsome or just too much, instead, the psalmist goes outside. They get out of their head and they go for a hike and they force themselves to remember not only that the world has always been big and they've always been small, so there's nothing really new about any of it. Not only that, but they go for a hike and remember one very, very important thing that we all need to be reminded of now and then, otherwise we'll be consumed by the very same anxieties, and that's this. There is nothing, absolutely nothing in this world that God did not create, doesn't know about, and isn't in control of. And yes, that brings up a whole other set of questions about why do bad things happen to good people and who said the 90s could come back and how is it that hip-hop just celebrated 50 years? But our point for today and perhaps the psalmist's point in general is this. God is big, but not only that, God is good. God is good. Say it with me. God is good. That's right. And because God is good, we need not be consumed by fear. In fact, we are liberated from it. Yes, the world is hard, but God is good for you and for me and for all of creation. And because God is big and we are small, we should have the kind of fear and respect that is appropriate to this kind of relationship, that God gave us breath and can take it away. But we need not fear because God is And we don't know all the things, but we don't have to because God is And because God is fearsome and sovereign and omniscient and wrapped in goodness, the psalmist says, let us give thanks. We pray help, as Reverend Mixon shared last week, even as we claim God's gift of joy. And today we pray thanks, even as the world is full of fearsome realities. There are many reasons why church matters. Stephen talked about this earlier. I reflected on this with the elder board last weekend and with our staff this past week, and we will reflect on this together as a congregation next week at our congregational meeting. There are many reasons why church matters, and for me, one of them is this, to be reminded week after week that even if the world is hard, God is to be lifted out of our individual narratives, to be reminded that we are part of a much larger story, one that is filled with lions and leviathan, of wind and water, of goats and badgers and cypresses where birds make their homes. There is nothing, we are nothing, if we are not connected to everything. And even though all of the algorithms might try to single us out with alarming accuracy, we are still but one part of a much bigger whole. We need to be reminded of this with regularity, to let our bodies and our souls go for a hike from time to time, and what better way to do it than with one another? Whether it's across town, like we did last Saturday, or across liturgy. There are many ways that we do this in church, but one way that feels so very, very specific to church and countercultural is through the collective gift, the gift of collective singing. Alone, I have a solid voice for singing and leading a round of happy birthday, even in parts. 
but my voice with all of yours can do something much more beautiful and transcendent. So, if you will, let us transcend for a moment. <clears throat> now, you can defect to any part that you want, but I'm gonna start with the, the bottom here, okay? You can divide yourselves however you want. Alleluia, alleluia. Wait, that's too low. Alleluia, let's see. No, I, I practiced this this morning too. Alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia. Sorry, middle middle folks here. I'll go back to the base. Alleluia, alleluia. All right, over here, Sopranos. <clears throat> together so you gotta sing with me. Okay, we're gonna try this all together. I'll try to go back and forth between the parts. We'll see how we do, huh?
close your eyes. Keep going. Sing it like you mean it. You have one more chance. Today, we remember to give thanks, and that when we give thanks God's bigness, for God's bigness and goodness, we are also cultivating a sense of connection with one another and all of creation to do and be and participate in something bigger than any one of us. So let us remember to give thanks raising our hands to clap them with the trees of the field in praise day after day, week after week, year after year in a never-ending cycle of alleluias. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for choir. We give you thanks for parts and for good choir voices that don't have to be soloing voices. We thank you that you invite us to be part of something bigger and that we get to participate in that and see how beautiful it can be. And so when we spiral into the depths of our own kind of mental spaces and get stuck, remind us, prompt us, challenge us, push us out the door so that we can remember just how big this world is, how small we are, and how good you continue to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>